Tonight's message is called Hope, Joy, and a Crown of Rejoicing. We have looked at the first chapter and most of the second chapter of First Thessalonians. And tonight, Lord willing, we will close chapter 2, looking at the last two verses in this chapter. Now, last week we looked at verses 17 and 18, where we saw that Satan hindered Paul from going to see the Thessalonian believers, again, not just once, but multiple times. And we see that clearly in our text in verses 17 and 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Now we know that all this occurred according to God's wise providence. Paul desired to be with the saints at Thessalonica. His heart was in going to see them, but we see that it was not the will of our great God. It was not God's will that he would go back to them at this time. He endeavored, which in other words, he put some effort into making a trip back to see them time and time again. But Paul says in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Satan hindered us. It was Satan who stirred up the mob of the baser sort against Paul. We know that when he had to flee from Thessalonica. It was Satan that bought persecution in other areas while Paul went after he left Thessalonica. We also know it was Satan who riled up the, the group of people in Jerusalem who, who cried, crucify him, crucify him, talking about our Lord. And Satan is the great enemy of God. He hates the Lord Jesus Christ. He hates the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will do everything in his power to hinder the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the great enemy of our souls, the great enemy of the souls of God's people, can only do what God allows. We saw that last week in our study, that Satan could only do to Job that which God allowed. We saw that. And never forget, beloved of God, that our great God rules and overrules in all matters. It was Paul's will. We, we know it was Paul's will to get back to the Thessalonian believers as soon as he could. And he tried many times to make that trip. But again, it was not God's will for that to occur. And Paul knew, Paul knew that God works all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, we need to be reminded as believers time and time again that God's ways are not our ways and that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Oh, how we need to be reminded of the absolute sovereignty of God in all things. And when we make plans, and sometimes plans are changed because of circumstances that we have no control over, we need to humble ourselves before our great sovereign God and cry out again with true reverence to him, nevertheless not my will, Lord, but thy will be done. With that in mind, let's read verses 17 to 20 of First Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we are going to see here in these verses, especially in verses 19 and 20, in verses 17 and 18 as well, that Paul had a heart for the brethren at Thessalonica. And oh, how he longs to see them again. How he longs to see them face to face. Let's read verses 17 to 20 again of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, 
not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Now we see that the Apostle Paul has said that he wanted to come. He wanted to come to see the Thessalonian believers. And we know that he was opposed by the Jews who hate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see brought forth in these verses here the love that Paul has for those saints at Thessalonica. Now we know that he was compelled to leave their city against his will. Paul wanted to stay there. But they themselves escorted him by night out of the city. And therefore we see that Paul's will at that time was not God's will. And we see how God's will overrides man's will. And this always occurs according to God's sovereign will and purpose. Now, I want us to consider some things here. We see that Paul cannot find words strong enough to describe the pain of separation that he feels being away from these beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. Beloved of God, he is bereaved to be separated from his brothers and sisters in Christ at Thessalonica. And we see that he, he hoped it would only be for a short time. He tried multiple times to go and see them. But again, he was hindered by Satan, as we see in verse 18. So truly, Paul's heart was with them, as if he were still present with them in Thessalonica. We see clearly in verse 17, his strong desire to look upon their faces one more time. He writes this, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. See, his heart His heart is still with them, beloved. He's not with them in the flesh, but oh, his heart longs to be in their presence. It says, endeavor the more abundantly to see your faith with great desire. Now, last week we saw that the word endeavored there in the Greek, it means earnestness, diligence, to be diligent, to earnestly or eagerly seek that. And then we looked at the Greek word for abundantly, which means super abundantly more, exceedingly more. So with that in our minds, we see that Paul had great earnestness and diligence to see them. Paul super abundantly desired to see their faces with great desire. Now, I want us to marvel here at the miracle of the grace of God and how the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ creates new relationships and also corresponding affections, which is the love of God shed abroad in the heart of the believer. We know, we who are born again, blood-washed saints of God, we know that in our natural state, we had no love for the gospel, no love for our great God, no love for the Bible, and no love for the people of God. And anyone who says otherwise, anyone who says, well, no, that, that wasn't me, they're lying to themselves. And the reason they're lying to themselves is because the scriptures, not the preacher, the scriptures says, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So in our minds, we were enmity against God. And we know that Paul in his natural state, turn if you would to Galatians chapter 1, we know that how Paul was in his natural state. And how he felt about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we know how he felt about God's people before the Lord saved him. The scriptures bring forth his state very clearly before he was saved here in Galatians chapter 1. Let's read verses 11 to 17. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ must reveal himself to you, or you will never know him. For ye have heard of my conversations in times past in the Jews' religion. Now he's going to speak about how he was before the Lord saved him. How beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. He sought to stamp out the church of God. He persecuted the church of God. He went to people's homes and pulled them out and cast them into prison. He sought to destroy the church of God. And then it goes on in verse 14, and profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. So Paul, Paul was a wealthy man in the Jews' religion. He profited in the Jews' religion. But when it pleased God, look at verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. That's what God does through the preaching of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He reveals the Lord Jesus Christ to us, beloved. And then he says that I might preach him among the heathen. Paul had one message. Christ in him crucified. That's who he preached. He preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at that. It says that very clearly. To reveal his son in me, that I might preach him, that I might preach Christ among the heathen. Not preach 50 ways to be a better Christian. Right? Not preach those things, but to preach Christ and him crucified. And he says, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and I returned again unto Damascus. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 9. Now a great change had occurred in Paul. When he wrote this letter to the Thessalonians, he was born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And when did that occur? Well, we're going to see this in Acts chapter 9. He was born again by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. He had been given faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had been given repentance before God. He had been given faith to believe on the one, the one in whom he was persecuting by persecuting his people. And we see that clearly in Acts chapter 9. We'll read verses 1 to 18. And marvel at the power and wisdom of God that is on full display in these verses. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatens and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if he found any of this way, the followers of Christ were called the followers of the way, Christ is the one way, whether they were men or women, he didn't care, that he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, now remember, Saul's persecuting Christians, right? Well, remember, Christians are the body of Christ. Christ is the head. And we're the body. Look what this says. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, 
why persecutest thou me? See the union between the believer and Christ? Such a close union. He's the head of the body, and we are the body of Christ. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the man which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no men. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And he has seen in the vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to thy saints at Jerusalem. All see, Paul's reputation preceded him. All Paul did much evil to the saints at Jerusalem. He did much evil to the church. And he told us in Galatians that he wasted the church. He sought to destroy it, beloved. And then look what he says in verse 14. And here he hath authority from chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. So Paul had authority from the chief priests in Jerusalem to bind all who called on the name of Christ. But look, look at this. Oh, look at our mighty, majestic, sovereign God. Look what he says. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles in kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And I, Ananias, went his way and entered into the house and put not his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. Look at that. He called him Brother Saul right away. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou comest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he had received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. Paul was now, beloved, a new creature in Christ. And he preaches the gospel of salvation in and through Christ alone. And he does it by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And we see a great change that has been wrought by the power of God. And note now the love that Paul has for the Thessalonians and for all believers. And he pens specifically, though, to these Thessalonian saints of the love that he now feels for them, the love that's shed abroad in their heart. Look at verses 19 and 20 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Now consider this, you who are the born-again, blood-washed saints of God. A few months before this, Paul, as far as we know, did not know a single soul in Thessalonica. And if he had been traveling as a tent maker, he might have stayed as long as he had desired and then moved on with as little emotion and troubles as a modern-day gypsy when they shift their camp. But now coming as a Christian evangelist, he finds there are brothers and sisters in this city 
who have been saved by the grace of God. How? Through the preaching of the gospel. And remember, he was only there for three weeks. He preached the gospel on three Sabbath days in the local synagogue. And no doubt, he would have also fellowshiped with fellow believers through the week who had been saved by the grace of God. And they would have built up relationship together. And it would have been built up very quickly because they find their joy and their hope in Christ, in Christ alone. And they fellowship in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now... After these Thessalonian believers, they're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Now they have their hearts knit together with Paul and Silas and Timothy. Even though they'd only been together for three weeks, Paul now feels their their hearts are so knit together by the Holy Spirit of God that Paul now feels the pain of their forced separation. He feels the pain of their parting from one another. It's much like a bereavement to him, beloved. As we see here, months after, he's writing this letter and his heart still aches to be with them, beloved. It still aches to be in their presence. His heart still aches because of those he's left behind at his party. And beloved, we see then in these verses, one of the ways in which the gospel changes a person who's truly been born again by the Holy Spirit of God and how the gospel enriches the believer's life because hearts that would otherwise be empty and isolated and have no hope in Christ and have no fellowship with other believers are brought into a living contact with a great circle of believers whose nature and needs are just like their own. They've been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. They have a great need. All believers in Christ have a great need. And that need is Christ Jesus our Lord. And we who have been saved by the grace of God and are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we have seen our natural state. It has been revealed to us. And we have seen our desperate desperate need of Christ and praise be to God he saved us by his grace no one knows the depths of human depravity what it truly is until God reveals to the believer in Christ the sinner that he's drawn to Christ until he reveals our hopeless helpless sinful state before a holy God of the universe the one true and living God And then no one knows the joy in the believer's heart until the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, until they're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And then they, we who are believers, are brought into fellowship with a multitude of sinners saved by the same grace of God who have the same Father, who have the same Spirit, and who have the same Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, let's look at what Paul again wrote in verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Only the true born again Christian man and woman can ever proclaim the joy mentioned in verse 19. And the hope that's also mentioned there. The hope that we have in Christ, only the true born-again believer can ever proclaim that joy. And we see that, that the love that Paul has for these believers, it shines forth through these words. Again, he says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. 
Again, we see that love that shines forth that Paul has for these believers. Believers he didn't even know months before he even went to Thessalonica. And now again, their hearts are so knit in love that he just yearns to be in their presence. And it's not just so for Paul, but it's also so for Silas and Timothy as well. Remember, Paul had forsaken all to preach the gospel. As far as we know, he had no brother or friend among his old acquaintances. They all turned against him, beloved. And that's what religious men do. You know what religious men do? They turn against preachers. That's what they do. They turn against preachers. And his old acquaintance had turned on him. They turned on him. And yet he finds joy with his fellow blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ. And they have joy and hope together because they share the same hope. They share the same love of God, which is shed abroad in their hearts. They again have their hearts knit together by the same Savior, and they love the same gospel. And that gospel proclaims the majestic, merciful Savior of all God's people, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood to redeem his people on Calvary's cross. That's what he did. And we see that Paul very clearly, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, brings forth his love. He brings forth his love for the brethren, for these believers in Christ at Thessalonica. And he calls them his hope, his joy, his crown of rejoicing, and his glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. Now, why did he call them this? Well, let us consider these three points. Number one, they were his hope and joy as he had great hope for them and their conversion. And this was a matter of great joy for him. It was a matter of great joy for him now at the time of this writing and also would be at the return of Christ. Number two, they were his crown of rejoicing or his victor's wreath of triumph. They are trophies of the grace of God and they would be for eternity. And Paul would rejoice that God had saved them for eternity, that God had saved some whom he preached the gospel to. And they were his glory. Now, believers never glory in men, but Paul gloried in the mercy and the grace of God in Christ towards these believers, towards these believers. These believers were fruits of his ministry and therefore brought hope and rejoicing to his heart and joy to his heart. Always remember that we who are believers in Christ here at Almont, Michigan are united in Christ and united together by divine providence, by the providence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, as we have seen tonight, is very desirous to see the brethren at Thessalonica because they are recipients of the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it came about by the gospel which he preaches, the gospel which God sent him to preach and proclaim. In the gospel of Christ crucified, the fact that Christ came to this world to save his people from their sins, this is what Paul preached. This is what Paul preached. He preached the gospel of Christ crucified to save his people from their sins. He preached the gospel of Christ's death to ransom the souls of his people and to satisfy the law and justice of God. He preached the gospel of the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is now, right now, seated at the right hand of God the Father. And beloved, this gospel, by the hands of the Holy Spirit of God and Him alone, is a life-given gospel, all by the power and the will of God. Now, Paul often refers to those who were saved under his ministry as his children. And we clearly seen in our text tonight that Paul's greatest joy and glory actually has nothing to do with him, but rather with the results of the gospel, as the results of the gospel that he preached and proclaimed. And this is true of every sent gospel preacher. 
we see that Paul joys in the brethren because the Lord has saved them and that they will one day be in the presence of the Lord when the Lord comes back. And Paul ends this chapter with the same sentiment as every pastor of God's church. As it's not about numbers, it's not about money, it's not about fame, it's not about legacy. The glory and joy of the pastor is the people that God has given him to minister the gospel to. And we see that so clearly in these words. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. For ye are our glory and joy. Amen and amen.